Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. As India's massive coronavirus surge continues, California has pledged that it will send life-saving oxygen equipment to the country. We talk with Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis this morning about the state's plans to help. But first, it's Youth Takeover Week at KQED, where we feature stories pitched and produced by local high school students. The issue they bring to us today period poverty. Many teens say they have missed school due to a lack of access to menstrual products. We'll look at the latest efforts to address period poverty and the overall stigma surrounding menstruation. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. We're speaking this morning about an issue that may be new to some of you, period poverty. Here are some stats you should know. One in four teens in the U.S. say they've missed school because of poor access to period products. And overall, one in five people who menstruate struggle with accessing products they really need. In California, menstrual products are now tax-free through the end of 2023. And legislators and many young activists are working to make free menstrual products available in all schools and public agencies. Meanwhile, some countries like Scotland and New Zealand have made tampons and pads free. In this student-produced segment for KQED's annual Youth Takeover Week, we're going to look at the activism and advocacy that is seeking to end period poverty. My first guest is Amy Condon, a member of KQED's Youth Advisory Board. Amy is a sophomore at Hillsdale High School in San Mateo and one of the producers of today's segment. Welcome to Forum, Amy. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here and for bringing this topic to our attention. As I just mentioned, you, along with fellow Youth Advisory Board members, Ava Purser and Yulieth Aguilar, pitched this topic to Forum and you co-produced this show. Tell us about why the issue of period poverty was so important for you to address. Um, Well, Scotland had just made uh, period products free, and I think it kind of all occurred to us um, that, like, why can't that be the U.S. as well? Um, I think we've all had, like, our own personal struggles with, like, getting period products, and it was kind of just um, a reckoning for us. Um, And I thought we thought it would be a good thing to cover um, and bring light to. And have you been surprised by how much people have known about this? Or have you uh, said, yeah, I expected that there wasn't a lot of knowledge out there? Um, Honestly, I was not super surprised. I thought um, there was probably a lot of advocacy for making period products more accessible. Um, But I also knew that, like, 
there's a lot of stigma around um, periods. So I, it didn't seem out of the box to me for it to be like something that's not typically talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Amy, thank you so much. I wonder how much of that is a generational divide, because I certainly think as I was coming up, I'm in my 40s, that this was not something you talked about very often. I'm curious for you listening, uh, if you have any personal experience with missing school or work as a result of your period, and if you've given much thought to this issue before this segment. The number here is 866-733-6786. We'd love to hear from you by phone. Call in, please. And you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can also use old-fashioned email, and <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Joining me now to talk more about this issue and the policy efforts to address it are uh, two women, Amanda Safi, a first-year student at the UC Santa Cruz, and she spearheads the Period Equity Project, and Jennifer Weiswolf, who's the co-founder of Period Equity, the Vice President for Development and Inaugural Women and Democracy Fellow at the Brannon Center for Justice. Amanda and Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi there. Glad to be here. And um, Amanda, let's talk about your goals with the Period Equity Project. Tell us about that. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, so with the Period Project, we are essentially um, working in San Mateo County um, with the support of Congresswoman Jackie Spear and Supervisor Carol Groom to establish a pilot program, a two-year pilot program to um, stock free period products in the bathrooms of San Mateo High School and Jefferson High School. Um, And we are also distributing free period products to anyone who needs them um, in the county. And so um, essentially our goal is to make free period products more accessible to anyone who needs them. Amanda, could you discuss the equity portion of the name? It seems like equity here is related to both economics and gender. Yeah, so um, in terms of economics, period products are incredibly overpriced. And um, especially during this pandemic, a lot of people are struggling to afford food and to put food on their table. Um, And having that financial burden of also having to purchase really expensive period products um, is really difficult for a lot of families. And so this project is attempting to make um, period products more equitable by providing them for free for people who really need them. Um, And it's equitable in terms of gender because um, because women and menstruators um, are at a disadvantage when it comes to period products, right? Um, Because their voices aren't typically considered. Um, You know, we make toilet paper free in bathrooms, but we don't make period products free. We don't make students pack toilet paper in their backpacks when they come to school. Um, And so stocking, yeah, so stocking these bathrooms with free period products is making it more equitable. So Amanda, what's the most common misconception you hear when you tell people about period poverty? Um, That's a good question. I would say the most common misconception is that um, you know, we that we don't really need 
period products in bathrooms, like we can just easily bring them to school with us. Um, and it's a misconception because not everyone can afford them and not everyone has access to them. Um, you know, like when students go to the bathroom and they realize that they got their period and they don't have period products on them, um, it's not always easy to go to the health office or like ask a friend because not everyone has a friend to ask. And when you go to the health office, you often end up missing school um, or you end up missing class time. So, yeah. Jennifer, could you tell us about efforts like what Amanda's been describing uh, more broadly? Are they happening throughout the state, throughout the nation in ways that are making an impact? Yeah, sure. And it's actually it's so exciting to hear from Amanda and youth activists on this um, because because their voices really are, I think, so compelling. But this is, yes, a policy agenda that has taken hold around the country and around the world. Um, as you noted earlier, that Scotland, um, you know, made headlines when it became the first nation to make period products free across the board. Um, and, and in fact, I think the question was asked earlier on, you know, if Scotland could do it, why not the U.S., um, which is which is maybe a more complicated question <laughs> than it seems. But the, I mean, the answer is that with the kinds of governance that we have here in the U.S., that that movement is absolutely underway. Um, it's just that we are a large, sprawling nation, a nation of states, um, where the federal government and state governments have different um, obligations and responsibilities and opportunities. But um, legislation and policy initiatives to ensure the affordability, accessibility, and safety of menstrual products are underway at all levels of government, um, including in California, as you mentioned, where the sales tax on menstrual products has been uh, a legislative fight for for many years, for about five years. Um, and um, the year before last, uh, the governor actually ended up writing it into the budget that at mm. least for a limited amount of time till 2023, uh, menstrual products would be tax free. Um, but that's a fight that's being had all across the country. Um, and in recent years, since 2016, um, nine other states, in addition to California, have actually succeeded. Uh, eliminating sales tax on menstrual products. 13 states have been successful at mandating um, the provision of menstrual products to people who are incarcerated. Um, and five states either have legislated or um, mandated by budget uh, menstrual product provision in schools. So that's the kind of stuff that is actually happening in real time. And it's um, and it's a fight that that needs the support of, of activists and advocates like those on this call. I'm so thrilled to hear that it is their interest in, and mission. Amanda, was there a single moment for you that made that opened your eyes to this issue and made you decide you wanted to get involved? Yeah, actually, um, last year before schools closed and the whole pandemic started, um, I had been having a lot of conversations with friends and classmates about our struggle with access to period products at schools. And um, one story in particular really stood out to me. So my friend, um, she was about to take a physics test and she was in class and she realized that she needed to go to the bathroom. So she asked her teacher to go. And when she went, she realized that she was on her period, but she didn't have any period products on her. Um, and so like she didn't really have a choice but to go back to class and sit in her desk and take her test. But during her test, she was like super nervous and, mm. and really distracted. And she was really like sitting uncomfortably in her desk. And by the end of class, she like bled 
through her pants and onto the seat. And um, she ended up having to leave school early after that. And when her mom called the school um, to excuse her absence, they didn't excuse it and they counted it as a cut. Um, And so, yeah. And so like her story really stood out to me because it just kind of shows that, um, you know, when we don't have access to free period products, we are, our education is affected by it, which isn't okay. And so I decided to take action after that. And tell us about the first actions you took. Yeah, so um, I first started by creating a petition um, and I like spread it over social media. um, And I, after I got like a significant amount of signatures, I decided to go to my supervisor, Carol Groom. Um, and she was in. She was super enthusiastic about supporting this project, um, and she's the one that suggested that we do a pilot program. And so I was super excited. Um, and then we like ended up getting Congresswoman Jackie Spear to join in as well, and she was um, super happy about supporting it as well. Um, and we ended up establishing the period project, and we've been working for over six months um, on trying to get it up and running. And it actually, it actually just... Don't give it all away. Started. We're going to get it after the break. I want to hear what the what the we just uh, is right after the break. But we're going to just take a short moment away. We're talking about the issue of period poverty and policy efforts to address it with Amanda Safi, who's a first-year student at UC Santa Cruz, spearheading the Period Equity Project, and Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, the co-founder of Period Equity. Have you given much thought to this issue before, or is it this segment opening your eyes? Do you have any personal experience with missing school or work as a result of your period? We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to us at forum at kqed.org. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. It is Youth Takeover Week here at KQED, where we feature stories pitched and produced by students. We're talking about the issue of period poverty and the policy efforts to address it with Amanda Safi, a first-year student at the UC Santa Cruz, spearheading the Period Equity Project, and Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, the co-founder of Period Equity, and also the author of the book Periods Gone Public, Taking a Stand for Menstrual Equity. I want to finish up with the comment, Amanda, that you were making, you were just about to say, what is happening now with your project, the Period Equity Project? Yeah, so I was just saying that um, the project just actually launched a couple of months ago. And um, at San Mateo High School, we are about to get those dispenser orders in. And we're about to stock our bathrooms with free period products and start distributing free period products to anyone who needs them. Um, And anyone in the county can also go to Jefferson High School as well if they want to get free period packs. So super exciting. 
Well, we are also joined now by a new guest, Chelsea Von Chaz, who I know, Amanda, is going to be so happy to hear about your efforts. She's the founder of Happy Period, which is a nonprofit based in Los Angeles that's advancing menstrual care for black people with periods. And Chelsea, you also have been putting in dispensers in order to provide free menstrual products to people in Compton. Hi, Chelsea. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us very much. Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, I mean, you kind of just went straight to the punch. We're all (laughs) about educating people about periods and encouraging people to be uh, advocates for themselves, especially when it comes to to their body. Um, Yeah, we started out dispensing out period products to folks in need, um, mainly folks that are experiencing uh, houselessness, and then that kind of just jumps right into providing things to, to excuse me, providing products to schools, um, community centers, transition homes, and we, you know, at the time went over before COVID, we kind of figured out that a lot of schools um, are just not allies <laughs> to their students with periods because schools don't, you know, give out make sure the students have free pads and tampons and in all the restrooms or the bathrooms or the gyms and there's still this um kind of old school way of telling students with periods to just hide it and be shameful about it Mm -hmm. telling them to go to the nurse's station because they don't have pads or tampons so yeah we we don't like that i don't like that so we're doing something different to change it Uh, chelsea how did you get involved in this work um, I just decided to. I just got a call in from the universe. I saw a woman out in LA who was um, free bleeding, and I did not like that. And after, um, and it wasn't necessarily nothing personal to her. I just didn't like the fact that, um, you know, we've kind of become so desensitized to folks that do not have homes. And so, you know, we're kind of used to people, um, you know, just being out there on the streets and not really providing things that they need. And then we also kind of don't look at folks with periods or people who identify as women when they are also homeless. We kind of put a homeless woman and a homeless man in the same box, assuming that they have the same experience. Um, And I also kind of dug a little deeper into that because after talking to a few reps who you know, work at shelters, they pretty much just affirmed everything that I was thinking and just, you know, kind of said a lot of things between, you know, there's, uh, there's no requirement for shelters, transition homes or community centers to have budgets for menstrual products, even if they serve people with periods. Um, So there's not really like a pressure for them to be accountable to provide uh, basic, you know, uh, basic necessities, you know, and we don't really look at toilet paper in the same way we look at pads and tampons. So, so yeah. And then I also, you know, um, just digging a little deeper in time going on, I saw that black people with periods are definitely left behind in the menstrual movement, especially when it comes to education, accessibility, and, you know, just having basic needs and even just having the knowledge of what a menstrual cup is or disposable versus reusable cups. Um, I think, you know, feminism has kind of like left black menstruators behind. So, so yeah, I'm here to push us forward. And why did you choose the name happy period, which is, you know, obviously not how many of us feel when we menstruate or as we used to say, when Aunt Flo comes to visit. 
Um, well, first of all, my mother came up with that name and we we like triggering people. I think triggering people um, can be very healthy because it actually shows, you know, it, 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 it makes you uh, acknowledge when you are uncomfortable with something or when even sometimes when you're ignorant about something, um, even when it's within yourself. So, yeah, we kind of like I went to school for fashion, so I'm really big on um, like color theory. So we looked up a few words and, um, you know, people definitely have an uncomfortability with the word period, which mm -hmm. is why a lot of folks like to give their period nicknames and people don't like to even bring up that word. And then a lot of people are also uncomfortable with the word happy. I think we're kind of always, we're kind of more so uncomfortable with the words like anxiety, depressed, sad, or ugly. But when it comes to something positive, it's like we're kind of unhappy about it or we are uncomfortable, uncomfortable about it. And I feel like that's the same frequency as how the word period is treated like people are comfortable with it um even though it's something really magical about menstruation mm -hmm. so um so yeah and then we also kind of did a google search and we found these um these old campaigns from i don't know like the late 90s early 20s where it was like a bunch of like white feminists getting mad at tampax and kotex because of all their commercial and marketing campaigns um that were uh, kind of like uh, creatively, artistically designed for folks to want to think positive about their period. You know, I think the campaign slogan was something like have a happy period or whatever. Mm -hmm. And all these people were all pissed about it. And I was like, huh, maybe if we create the organization and name it happy period, we would actually um, shift the way people talk about periods and, and how people feel about periods with these two words. And then I think we kind of went through like a week of just telling people the name and everybody was so pissed and angry. So we're <laughs> like, yep, that's the name. <laughs> Reframing the discussion, name it what you want to see it. All right. Thank you so much, Chelsea. We appreciate your time. We're going to let you go now, but thank you. We are talking about the issue of period poverty and policy efforts to address it. We have a caller on the line right now. We've got Adam from Mountain View. Adam, thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Hi, this is uh, just a slight tangent to period poverty, but policy in schools. Um, this story comes from my wife, who's been talking about it for years. When uh, she was in high school, uh, her periods were very irregular. And the, the way that high school is structured and the sort of like you've only got five minutes and, you know, if you don't come back to class in time, then it's going to be, uh, you know, detention or whatever. She didn't have time to deal with things. And so uh, she ended up going on birth control just to regulate her period so mm -hmm. that she could like sort of fit into the schedule at school. And what's extremely ironic about that is that she was at a Catholic school and so Catholic her and her mother uh, worked at a Catholic church, and so their insurance didn't pay for, or like she had to get like special waivers mm. and stuff because the Catholic church doesn't want to pay for birth control. But at the same time, this Catholic school was like essentially forcing, you know, her to do that, and it really like messed up her health for a long time because she didn't really need to be on on those hormones. Uh, and I think it's right. It's not exactly a poverty issue, but it's it's very related to like the we just sort of ignore people who menstruate and and you know don't don't give them the money, don't give them the time, the space to deal with these things. That's right, Adam. Thank you so much for your call, uh, Jennifer Weiss Wolf. I think what Adam's pointing to is that 
period poverty, having your period at all, is part of this larger discussion generally of women's health. And that has been underfunded and under-researched for many, many years. Uh, Jennifer, would you comment on this? Sure. And I really, really do appreciate that story, too. It's it's just infuriating, I guess, on so many levels. Um, and, and it kind of goes back to a bit of what you asked about at the beginning about the idea of the word equity um, as, as part of this organizing and part of the policy framing uh, and consideration so that we're, we're actually approaching um, people's health in a holistic and meaningful way. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I love Chelsea's description of, of the choice of the words happy period, too. Um, and, and it makes me think a lot about how words and policy um, overlap and intersect with each other. And um, for my part, when I started, you know, six years ago, um, considering what it would look like to have a policy agenda focused on menstruation, the word equity mattered a lot to me, um, not just because of what it what it literally means and points to, but because so many of the frames that were currently um, being used around the world um, as menstrual policy and innovations were being considered um, didn't necessarily sort of fit the bill for what would work in the United States um, because this is considered globally a water sanitation and hygiene issue, which is known as under the acronym WASH. Um, it's considered a public health issue, and I think Adam's story points to that. Um, it's considered a human rights issue, or at least in a matter of human rights. Um, and there are so many aspects also to the cultural and religious and social and societal ways we view menstruation, reproduction, and women's bodies, um, that that all kind of comes to a head together. And equity felt sort of like the, the umbrella that mm -hmm. could capture that in a way of perhaps the phrase period poverty does not. Um, and it also had the benefit, too, of really, I think, tapping at core core values of American lawmaking, um, equity, equitable opportunities to participate in one's education in the economy um, in a way that perhaps other frames and phrases would not. Um, but Adam's story, I think, does a really good job at, at showing sort of like all of the corners of inequities that can can impact people's lives on account of menstruation. Thank you so much for that uh, response, Jennifer. We appreciate it. And the details that you share with us about this fight. Celeste tweets that she also appreciates this discussion. She says, so happy these girls are out here fighting for us all. There were several times I've been at work with horrible period pains and my coworkers, who were all male, made it a joke and then became offended when I wouldn't stop being, quote, dramatic. And a listener asks, how can we get our own university campuses to count pads as basic needs, as they do with food or housing, and to be considered in their budgets? And this question certainly is going to go straight to Amanda, because Amanda, you are doing that work of making period products available on a university campus. Could you tell us about how you've done that? How do you get your university campus to pay attention? Yeah, that's an amazing question. Um, you know, I've been work. I've actually been recently working on trying to get free period products on UC Santa Cruz's campus. Um, last week, I spoke with my dean about getting it, and he was incredibly supportive of it um, because it is it is an issue about equity. And I would encourage you, if you are interested in advocating for for getting free period products onto your campus, to talk to talk to um, the people in positions of power at your school. Um, 
you're there's a high chance that they are going to be more interested in it than you think um you know talking to your dean talking to your resource centers um talking to essentially anyone in in a position of power um they will probably end up listening to you we have another caller now twisha in fremont uh twisha would you Thank you for calling in. Uh, Would you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing? I understand you are also involved in this uh, movement to raise knowledge. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, my name is Twisha, and when I first found out about this issue in the summer of 2020, I started by kicking off a fundraiser on Facebook and um, to bring awareness throughout our community and communicate ways that people can contribute. And through that, we were actually able to raise $2,000, and we donated over 11,000 menstrual care products to four different shelters in the Bay Area in California. And my current efforts actually involve leading an organization called Students Against Period Poverty Milpitas, in which we are actually hosting monthly donation drives through which student volunteers um, are able to contribute menstrual hygiene care packages and motivational letters. And we donate an average of around 100 packages every month to women's shelters around the Bay Area. Toisha, thank you for your work and for calling in. We appreciate it. Let's go to a comment now. Uh, Melody writes, I've been using a period cup for about 10 years. It's comfortable for me and has saved me tons of money. Period cups are made of body-safe, flexible material and can be easily sanitized. I wonder if this type of period product is on people's radar. Period pain is another major issue, especially when it intersects with mis- or underdiagnosed gynecological issues. I know many people who have extreme period pain that may be treatable but is instead normalized. Jennifer, could you talk about this broader issue of items that relate to getting your period or menstruating um, that are not just the physical product itself? Sure. And those are those are two really important points to make. And on the first, on the idea of usable product, uh, reusable products in particular, um, you know, there are I think that there are distinct challenges that um, a variety of communities face when it comes to even just consideration of appropriate menstrual products or what it is they feel comfortable using. Um, So for some folks, there are cultural or social um, taboos against internally used products. For others, there are real challenges to um, caring for those products if they're in a circumstance where they don't have access to hot water or running water or privacy um, or a bathroom that locks. The the ability to actually um, take advantage of some of the benefits of reusable products are 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 completely you know discounted or or ruled out. Um, so there, I think that kind of you know the sort of broader um, social and economic and um, you know of just kind of variety of of factors go into play. Um, so it makes it really hard to say folks should use this one or folks should use that one. Um, and that has to obviously be sort of, you know, embedded in the way policymaking happens um, because there are such a, there's such a broad array, um, array of populations um, whose needs are being met that I think any policy advocate has to be um, mindful of things they might not know um, or might not think about when it comes to to other, you know, to various communities. Um, and then on the issue of period pain, you know, that that kind of brings us right back to what, what it looks like to be fully represented and reflected um, in society. And the fact that um, folks, that, that there's not even sort of a, a, an agreed upon notion of what is normal, what is not, what is, what is 
what it what what requires medical intervention, how medical intervention is trained to treat people who come and especially women and especially around issues of menstruation. Um, um, so there's just it, it again, it, it just goes right back to that core core point of and when we haven't centered menstruation what all the inequities look like. Jennifer, we're almost out of time here. Amanda, thank you so much for being a part of the show as well. Uh, Jennifer, just very quickly, do you have a number for how much uh, people who menstruate spend a month on pads, period products, et cetera? And, you know, I'm going to answer this quickly, but it's not even a solid answer because the truth in America is that if you are low income, things cost you more. Um, not relatively, but absolutely. Um, so for folks who can go to a price club and buy, you know, six months of period products, you know, in bulk, um, mm. they'll pay less for it than somebody who has to buy them in the smallest package that they can afford right. okay. at a convenience store. So it's going to be anywhere from 5 to $20, honestly, a month. Okay. And it, can, it really depends on who you are and where you live. I do have one quick story I'd like to get to that Kathleen has written in. She says she grew up poor in a small town on the coast that only had one small store where she was embarrassed to buy tampons. If she ran out and couldn't go to a larger store in the town, a 40-minute drive away, she'd stay home from school. Sometimes they couldn't afford tampons that month, and she would miss a few days from school. She said, I hated that so much because I was a good student and I loved school. Now I donate money to the same high school I attended for them to buy menstrual products to hand out to girls. No questions asked. Kathleen, thank you for your time and your help. Amanda, thank you again for being on the show. We appreciate it and appreciate your work. Thank you so much for having me. Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, thank you for being on the show awesome. also. Oh, thank you so much for covering this. And thank you to everybody for their stories and activism. It's so uplifting. And stay with us when we come back after the break. We are going to be speaking with Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis about the massive humanitarian crisis in India. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.